Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson. So glad to be with you today as we will be joined by former NFL linebacker Don Davis. He played 11 seasons in the NFL on four different teams, the Saints, the Bucks, the Rams, and the Patriots. He even spent just a little bit of time with the Chiefs. And while he was with the Patriots, he actually won two Super Bowl rings And then right after he retired in 2007, he stayed with the team as the assistant strength and conditioning coach and team chaplain. And then he ended up leaving and got involved with uh, Christian ministry, uh, which he continued to uh, continues to be uh, involved with today. And then along the way, he'll tell us about this uh, in the interview, but he became the senior director of player affairs and is a senior advisor to the executive director at the NFL Players Association, so the NFLPA. Uh, So a lot of insight uh, in regards to his role with them. Uh, And so it's an awesome conversation. You're going to love it. Uh, A very inspiring story uh, of faith. Uh, Also, he he talks about his playing career and and the the lessons that he learned uh, along the way and some of the people that, that had key influences on him throughout his journey. And so you're going to love Don Davis. He's an awesome guy. Before we jump in, let me ask you this. Do you need to get your own health insurance? Well, go to healthmarketgenius.com. Know your options. Healthmarketgenius.com. Support them as they support us. Stick around. At the end of the interview, I'll share some of my takeaways from the conversation, and hopefully they can be an encouragement as we wrap things up together. But right now, let's jump in and hear all about the story of Don Davis and one of his former teammates who just won a Super Bowl. Here it is. It's Don Davis. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And joining us now on the Unpacking It podcast is former NFL linebacker Don Davis, two-time Super Bowl winner. He's got a great setup, all 32 NFL helmets around his ceiling. Don, it's great to have you on. How are you? Bryce, I'm good. Thank you for having me. It is an honor. Well, man, we're, we're excited to, to talk with you. And, and I, I, I find I, I did some research on your story and, and really an inspiring story. And so I want to talk about that today. Okay. Uh, but, but since we're, we're just coming off the, the Super Bowl and, and your former teammate won with a different team, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on, on seeing Tom down there in, yeah. in Tampa Bay and, and winning the whole thing in his first year. I tell you, no greater story for him. He's a great guy. I am a number 12 fan. I was when we played together. I was excited for him. 
I got to say, it seemed as if, you know, therefore during the season, he they weren't playing that well. So to be able to play at that level and – and and, and 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 go and, and and go through all of the criticism, the questioning of his age and that, and then the, to win it all, man, no greater feeling. I remember that feeling, oh three and oh four. I remember the feeling, oh one, of losing to them when I was with the <laughs> St. Louis Rams. I've had victory and defeat. I remember being eighteen and zero as a coach in Arizona and losing to the Giants. I've had the, I know that feeling, right? So I'm so proud of him and that team, Tampa Bay as an organization. Wow. I mean, to have that long of time to get that monkey off of your back. It's, 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 there's so many stories throughout uh, that I'm just excited uh, to, you know, to was excited to watch as a fan and as a um, kind of someone as a stakeholder in this community. Man, no, that that's a great perspective, and you know, a lot was made of of him being forty three, which you, you almost can't talk a, a, about enough. But but for you as a former teammate and, and spent time as a, a coach and chaplain with that with that team, and having been around him, in what ways is it surprising that he's still playing at this level, and in in what ways is it not surprising at all? I think it's surprising, just like you said, age, even winning. Winning can bring complacency, right? Yeah. So you're, you're surprised the, a new team. I mean, you know, who that hasn't won. <laughs> come on. Yeah. They had weapons, but come. Uh, one of my former teammates, Nate Berthelsen, who's on CBS, he He's predicted awesome. it at the very beginning. One of the only ones that I, that I saw that, uh, that I can remember that played it back, but yeah, man, just to be able to do that, that th- those are all the things that are positive. Uh, I, I think, I think it's not surprising because of his diet, work mm. ethic, because he is truly the GOAT. I've, I've, <laughs> I've watched this man. I've, I've seen him. The only other person I saw with a what who with that seemed to be a similar work ethic was Peyton Manning, another Hall of Famer. So, and, and then I, you saw Peyton at the end, kind of, uh, you know, and he won that one, but it was, uh, you know, it was great it was defense, right? Yeah. So, it was great to see Tom play well and, and, and to, you know, get another one. And and then, and then, and then like only he can a video the Monday after the Super Bowl back to work. Right. Uh, (laughs) Unbelievable. And and I ain't going to lie. I'm kind of like, you got seven, let's go bow out. Like that's it. Leave on top, right? Leave some left, buddy. Doesn't doesn't look like that's going to be the case. That's what's so remarkable, because like you say, you be complacent and you feel, hey, yeah, that's enough. It's right. it's in, in some ways, it's never enough for him, which you know, there's probably some deeper things to that. But yes. but uh, but man, that says it says a lot about him just to to, to work that hard at this stage. And it's yes. you, you run out of words to describe what we've seen as fans all, all these years. And to think back when you know, how long ago you played, you're winning yeah. Super Bowls with him, and he's still out there. It's, it's crazy. It's insane because when I watch the the physicality of the game and I stay busy, I, I work out, you know, I, I, I'm fairly fit. People are like, wow, man, you play. I would get killed out there. Like, I don't want anybody to touch my body. Like, I don't want anybody. I'm going to get hit, the bruising, the, the, the playing through pain and injury. 
I want no parts of that. I loved it. I played 11 years. I'm thankful for it. I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to run down, go out there and put on a helmet and take those hits. So kudos to him, man. And it, it's exciting to watch. Well, well, let's let's go back to your time in New England. We'll we'll do a full kind of your story yeah. a little bit, but just to, since we're talking about Brady, there you were as a player. Then you transitioned to a strength and conditioning coach and a chaplain. Yeah. What what was the dynamic like and and kind of your approach with Tom Brady from a from a spiritual standpoint? What was your your strategy and and how did you navigate that? I think the great thing for me was I sensed a calling um, early in my career based on seeing Tony Dungy. My first experience after the first three years in the league, being with a terrible team, kind of having one foot, one out Christianity, um, you know, one foot and one out of the church, live being carnal, but, you know, trying to be spiritual at the same time. So I had this divided life, this divided mind. And the Bible says that's unstable, right? Mm. But, then, but then watching Tony Dungy be all in and seeing that and then of it affecting my life allowed me to change and go and, and be all in, right? Which then you take that to St. Louis and then be a part of that and be a part of the leadership being looked at as one of the spiritual leaders of the team with Kurt Warner and Aeneas Williams, who's a spiritual father of mine, amazing men. And then to take that and be kind of the leader, the one of the guys, key guys in New England, right? So being a player, I had that spiritual leader kind of slash uh, title as well. So when I became a coach and chaplain, it was a it just was a natural progression. And it started in new it started this trend that happened in New England for a while after I left that went to Benjamin Watson as this player kind of spiritual leader, then to Matthew Slater, who's now currently there. So it's been awesome to see that. You know, that kind of started because when I was there, when I first went there, it wasn't it wasn't that way. Going to your question and Tom is like all of the players that were there had a a, a level of respect for me mm. and, and, and for what I what I brought, the way I lived my life, you know, and being fully transparent and helping. So it that continued uh, from when I was a chaplain and continues now with my relationship mm. with the players and those that are coming in with my role at the NFLPA. So as you live your life and, and as I live my life and trying to live it by the word and, 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 and then, then what that does is that allows for others to continue to see that and evaluate that. And it gives you great respect amongst that community. And then at, hopefully at some point you feel like that maybe you've impacted those lives and you won't know that always on this side of heaven, but I have the confidence that the Lord has used, uh, like he used another man in my life has used me in other people's lives. Amen. That that's awesome. Well, that, what, what a neat, uh, yeah. Explanation of that and how that, that has been handed down over the years. You mentioned Benjamin Watson and Matthew Slater being there now, which is, which is cool to hear because we don't necessarily uh, hear about the, the new England locker room necessarily, you know, maybe the, like we used to hear with Tampa Bay or the, the, the Colts when, when Dungy was leading the way and, and right. other you know, head coaches maybe that set the tone that necessarily hasn't been what we've heard about New England, but but you would say that within the players there is an openness to it, and and it and it has continued over the years. It has, and there is a even those who are non-believers or agnostic 
which I think New England, the Northeast kind of has more of that feel. Yeah. Traditionalism, Catholicism, you know, just like rooted in these, these rituals. Even in that, and amongst that, there is this acceptance and yearning for a mm. spiritual connection, right? I think we all yearn for what our hearts desires, right? The whole, the God-shaped hole in our hearts. And I think a lot of people try to fill that in many different ways, right? When they don't know, but in the, in the sports realm, when you have someone who for all intents and purposes has everything, right? Mm. Cause that's the view. Mm. You have everything. You're popular. You're playing a sport. You're on TV. You're recognizable. You have money. You have a family. You have all of these things, and yet you still love Jesus? Mm. Wow. Really? Why? <laughs> you know? And, wow. Well, you, you know, and so you go through that, and you, you go through, you TV, talk about all of that, and you can do it, but, but then it's like, a, okay, I remember when I first came to New England, it's like, uh, people watching, okay, they're watching what you say, they're watching what you do, they're watching how you, how you act on the field when you miss a play, right? when you make a mistake. How do you talk to people, right? How does your, let's look into your family's eyes and how are you with them, right? Mm. That's where the proof is in the pudding. And because athletics is like this little microcosm of a community and a society, you eat, sleep, drink, and breathe life with these people. And so it, it, it gives you a great opportunity, right? Mm. In some ways, and it, and it leads to a high level of accountability. Right? right. If you bear the name, you best believe you're gonna be called out. I remember very early in in in, in my in my walk, and I was with um, uh, the great Hardy Nickerson, the linebacker in Tampa, and I was trying to you know change. I gave my life to the Lord, rededicated myself, and as Tony Dungy and all of that, watching it, and Derek Brooks and myself, and, and another guy Jeff Jeff Gooch, another linebacker, we're trying to hold each other accountable. Shelton Quarles, and we're all in this little group, and and one time. Man, I just let loose. I, something happened at practice, and I just started cursing like a sailor. And I wow. remember, I remember him, you know, Hardy Nickerson coming to me and saying, "Man, hey, noticed you were a little upset at practice." There, I was like, "Yeah, man, no, forgive me, man. I just, you know, I just, I just kind of, just sometimes it's, it just comes out of me, right? I, I, I feel like I got, I got a cussing problem. I got an anger problem." He's like, "What?" You know, kind of took him to some scripture. Said, "You actually don't have an anger problem. You have a heart problem." Ooh. Until we fix your heart, you're never going to fix that anger or that mouth. Man, it was like, so that started us on this kind of what what is what's become popular. Back then, it wasn't as we have a jar, a curse jar, a swear jar, accountability. He was there, they, all the linebackers were in it. And then that that was just an, uh, an accountability measure, right? And so it, it helped me, it, it allowed me to remember that, it'd be a staple, commit to something. And then after that, putting in the work, putting in the practice, working on my heart and that never had that as it become up as an issue after that, you know, playing in the, in the NFL. Now there's still times where people make me mad. There's still times where I say something, I, maybe I shouldn't and I have to repair it. Right. Yep, but yep. you know what I, what, what, what that was, was a good tale of, you know, now this, let's work on your heart. You know, why are you so angry? Right. Why, mm. what, what, why do you need to use words or do or have behaviors that are unchristlike? Right. Mm. And once you get to the heart of that, now we can start having life change. Man, that, that's so encouraging because for me and for people listening to think, yeah, maybe, maybe it's not so much I've got an anger problem, but I've got a heart problem. And, and, to, and to get to the, the root of it and, and to really 
yeah, seek the Lord in that and to, to ask him to kind of reveal that and, and yes. talk to other people and, and get their, their thoughts on what they see. And, um, that's a, that's a wonderful, yeah. uh, encouragement. So I appreciate you, uh, you sharing that. Absolutely. Well, well, let, let's go back a little bit. Cause I think people will, will be intrigued, uh, to, to hear kind of where you once were to, to now where you are now and how God has really transformed your, your life and, and your heart. And, and so, Going back to when you entered into the NFL, yeah. uh, you came out of Kansas, 1995 draft. You go undrafted. Pick us up there. What yeah. what was what was life like for you? What was your kind of mentality at that time? And 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 how did you end up entering into the NFL? Absolutely. Let me give you one backdrop before that. 1995. As a I was a church kid, old Baptist church down in Kansas City, Kansas. We went all the time. Uh, I was churched out by the time I was 14. We went so much. We went, we were at, at church all day on Sunday, Wednesday night, Tuesday night. I mean, just we're always at church so much. So I got my first job at a barbecue restaurant when I was 14. Um, and my mother said, you are allowed to get this. My mom said, you know, under one condition, you cannot work on Sundays, right? You got to tell the man that. Okay. Yes, mother. So I went there. Talk to the guys. Look, I love it. I want to work. I'm in. I'm all in. I only have one condition. You must book me every Sunday because I don't want to go to church. Right. Oh. And he's like, oh, no problem. That's one of my busiest days. Great. You can work. I went back and told mom. Yeah. He said, no, I'm sorry. I, I got to work every Sunday. Right. Because oh. I was church now. Wow. So that kind of, you know, that's my, that's the history I bring in 95, right? After I, I go to, I, I'm involved in FCA, you know, and all of that. And I, and I'm doing that, but I'm also being worldly carnal. I'm, I'm living two lives mm. like so many folks do. And the Bible talks about carnality and it's like fleshly, right? It's there's, there's spiritual and then there's physical, right? And what we want is we want our physical to match our spirituals. Spiritual is internal. It's what God does. It's where God lives. And when he lives internal, spiritual, then that resonates external, physical, right? And then that, then you don't have this carnality. But what often happens is instead of an internal spiritual um, uh, um, experience, people have an, 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 an internal knowledge, head-based uh, uh, list of rules, ritualistic reasoned understanding. Well, God will accept me because I'm a good person because it's all up here and it never gets here into the heart where, where God wants to rule and live. Mm. So when that happens, when it's just here, you have these list of rules. And so you carry out life on a fleshly plane. You try to check off a bunch of rules and don't. And at the end of the day, that ledger for you always will equal at least 51%. Because you feel like, well, at least as long as I get 51%, then I'm doing okay. But see, God has a different scale, right? It's an all-in kind of deal. And so when you when you have that 51% or that list, it leads in what the Bible calls carnality. It's you're living by the flesh. You're judging everything you do by fleshly standards. There may be spiritual, like growing the church, um, you know, reading my Bible. So there are some spiritual disciplines in there, but they're being done in a fleshly, earthly manner and carnal is manner. So that's how I lived for so long um, because I, I had no heart knowledge. I was all head knowledge. 
I gave my life to the Lord because I understood at age, at a young age, I think I was age eight, nine, I understood, oh, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to proclaim him as ruler of my life. Okay, great. I understand that mentally. I don't want to go to hell. And in order not to go to hell, I need to do this. Okay, I understand that. Great. I give my life to the Lord. So it's all here, but it never reaches here in the heart, mm. right? So that's that's how I kind of live my life. So fair like I was a fairly good person, right? So mm. 1995, here we go. And and, and I'm, I'm going to go on this football journey and I go through the draft. Everybody goes through the draft. Everybody wants their name called and the whole draft goes and my name's not called. Now, I call these, these are champagne problems, right? These aren't like cancer and these aren't people who have serious problems financially. There, there are some bigger problems. But for me, at that time, 20, 21, 22 year old kid, that was everything, right? And it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm undrafted. I ended up getting get signed on with the New York Jets. I went up there. I went through two months of training and training camp and was released. Then I released, I was cut from the team. So then I came back to Kansas City and I was on the practice squad. Okay, so I'm, I'm close closer to my dream. I was only on the practice squad for three weeks. I was cut again. Then I sold shoes at Foot Locker at the mall in Olathe, Kansas. Oh. And and the, the chiefs, a lot of them who lived out there, were coming into my store spending more in one hour than I made in one month. Oh. Very humbling for me. And wow. it and so much turned me off. I couldn't even watch football. I wasn't working out. I had I was probably I was drowning out my sorrows trying alcohol and womanizing and just a bunch of just stuff, carnal. Just I'm just yeah. trying to fill a hole. Well, I, I signed back three months later in, in 1996 with the Kansas City Chiefs. And now I'm going to be all in, drinking, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm just focused on football. And for eight months, I focused. I mean, I worked out. I was in the best shape of my life. I know the playbook. I did everything right. And I was still cut. And I was. it was for me, again, I'm devastated at that mm. point got picked up by the New Orleans Saints, thankfully, placed on their practice squad. This is 1996 again. Finished out the season on the active roster, so I played 12 games and got signed back for a second year. Did that. That's great. 97. 98 comes. This is my third year in the league, and the average is three and a half years. So on my third year, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm attending Bible studies, and I'm doing some of that, those things. But, you know, still, again, I'm living this double life. And then I'm released halfway through the season, cut again, third time. Uh, like, oh, man, come on. Uh, and that's when I got picked up by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Literally mm -hmm. saved my life. It was uh, December, uh, December 5th of 1998. Mm -hmm. I finished out that year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played in five games, got signed back. 99 and i'm watching tony dundee that whole offseason mm. i'm around hardy nickerson these men of god the chaplain doug gilcrease great friend now mm. we're going through all of this stuff i'm in bible studies i'm looking at all of this stuff and i remember it clearly that offseason because we every offseason the players train and i go to uh doug and i we're having the bible study and and he says to me how do you know you're going to heaven mm. right how do you know Right. And I'm like, I'm Baptist. What do you mean? Of course I'm going to heaven. Like, okay. And, like, eh. and so he takes me to uh, um, a scripture in Matthew 
that says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. He says, what does that mean to you? I'm like, uh, it seems to be saying that though, that not everybody going to heaven just because they're Baptist or because they were baptized, but it's those who are basically doing the will of God, right? And he's like, are you doing the will of God? No, I'm not. Mm. Wow. Would you like to know how? Absolutely. And that led me on this. I'm all in. I'm finally all in. Oh, now I understand doing the will of God is not just saying a prayer. Mm. Operating in the will of God is not just going to church Mm. or chapels. It's not just tithing. Mm. Those are spiritual disciplines. Those are fruit. It's external. What you need is an internal rebirth. Mm. And that's what I did in 99. Life has took off from then, right? That hadn't been all great. Hadn't been all gravy. Hadn't been all perfect. None of that never will be. But I got to tell you, it's nothing like, it looks nothing like it did before 1995, 1999. Nothing. So. Wow. No, that's that's an awesome story and so encouraging to hear. And and I guess I'm 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 curious to unpack a little bit more of, of yeah. where you were, like what ultimately the Holy Spirit was drawing you during that time. But yeah. but what was kind of what was happening? What were you noticing? You mentioned Tony Dungy, but what what was yeah. kind of going on during that time? My entire world was falling apart. Hmm. So ninety five again, ninety six when I signed back nineties from ninety six to ninety eight, two years. I'm three years, 96, 97, 98, three years. I had all of those things. I wanted to play football. Great. I got a contract. I wanted a spouse. I got married. Great. I wanted a certain car. Great. I got it. I wanted a house. I got it. I got all of this stuff. Mm. And yet I'm miserable. Absolutely miserable. Mm. And I can't figure out why I'm so miserable. I can't even articulate why I'm so miserable. Mm. I was a terrible husband. I was a terrible father. I was awful. I mean, I just, from my standards anyway, I just was just like, this is not how we're supposed to live. Mm. 98, went through a divorce, all of that. You're bankrupt. I mean, borderline alcoholic. It's all this stuff. I'm just a mess. My life was a mess. 98, Mm. 95 and 98 were two of the worst years of my life. Mm. Uh, my whole, my entire 48 years of, of life. Mm. Uh, but those things, so, so that my, gra- my, 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 my world was shaken. And, 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 you know, oftentimes we can over-spiritualize some of these things. But as I look back, I think God was trying to get my attention, right? But I think it was just simply, more of it is just simply me building my house, my, my life, my foundation on, on, on a poor foundation, my life mm. on a poor foundation, right? It was on the sand. It, it was on things that didn't matter, things that things that you think you want or things that you think will make you happy and they don't, right? And and all of that, all of that um, wouldn't have mattered if I had a true heart connection, right? If I had a true heart connection, I still could have gone through the ex- all the things I went through, but I think I would have went through them with a different perspective. Mm. And maybe then the outcome might have been different. But at least 
I would have been based on a solid foundation. And I would have known that anything that had happened to me, I had prayed through it. I had an accountability group. I had a, a, a community around me. I was doing everything I could, right? Then I know that it is truly whatever, whatever panned out was the will of God. What happens now for us as Christians, what we can, what we can fall into is, well, it's just the will of, it's just the will of God that I became an alcoholic. It's just the will of God. See, no, wait, no, we got to back up. We got to look at scripture here, right? No, the will of God is to be one with him and to, mm. and to commune with him, right? So when I'm Amen. communing with him, it doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I'm at one with him, which means I'm doing things that he would approve of, right? My life resonates with what he represents, right? The triune God. So when I have that, the the outcome of that and some of the things that I go through aren't caused by my own choices or decisions, typically, right? Mm -hmm. They're not caused by me dabbling in things that probably I shouldn't or that have proven they lead to destruction. That's right. You don't got to be spiritual to know <laughs> if you're married you're supposed to be in a married relationship. And if you're with anyone else outside of there in any relationship, physical or otherwise, your marriage, your relationship is going to be terrible. You don't need to be spiritual to know that. If you consume things that alter your mind, that's not a good thing for you to be productive in your daily walk, right? Your work, profession, whatever, leading your kids, any of that. You don't got to be spiritual to know this, right? These are just basic principles. These are just basic things that you know. But And yet, we all suffer from the exception mentality. I, I'm the exception. And we don't think this because that's arrogant, but we think it in our actions, right? We prove it. We're like, yeah, but. Mm. I know this leads to destruction, but. I know that I could uh, be addicted but I have it under control. I'm I'm not like that. I blah, 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 whatever, right? So we have these list of things. By the um, line. So I think because of that, you know, I, 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 everything that I went through, that's why I can say my life is completely different. And mm. while there have been difficulties, there it was it pales in comparison to that 95 through 98 year. Ah, man, what a story! Gosh, I, I love that. It's it's uh, very inspiring and and. Just a, a tremendous, uh, yeah, perspective and, and the wisdom that you've learned through all that. That's uh, man. I, hopefully, hopefully, that's very helpful to to some listeners today yeah. to, uh, to to think about that. Uh, a lot of a lot of layers there for sure. Well, so your your life ends up uh, changing, and and then when your career ends, and, and God was using you in those those locker rooms. I assume we talked a little bit earlier just about being a spiritual leader in those those locker rooms. Uh, but then since retiring from the NFL becoming a chaplain and and pursuing ministry what has that journey been like and then fill listeners in on what you're doing now with the the NFLPA and and how 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 all of that led to uh your your current role so i all i never wanted my identity to be wrapped up in the game of football mm. right so I, I i i prided myself on the second half of my career on kingdom-minded vision on working on the things that matter, living a life that's pleasing to God and trying to 
impact those in my sphere of influence, mm. which happened to be those in the National Football League. So with that, after two years, I decided to leave the NFL because I retired one day and became the coach and chaplain the next day. So I left one locker room, the players' locker room, to into another locker room in the same area. So mm. nothing really changed. Everything, it was great, right? Because I was able to slowly exit out of the NFL. And I remember clearly one day being on the sideline halfway through the season of my coaching season and like, huh, I'm done playing football and I'm okay with that. And now what am I going to do? So there was kind of this thought of maybe starting a church or doing some things of that nature. There was an organization that I had belonged to called Pro Athlete Outreach. And I was the director of NFL programs for Pro Athlete Outreach. So there was a position there. Um, instead of working just with the New England Patriot players, it was like I would have all of the club's uh, Christian players and those that were seeking. So mm. we dove into that after we left New England, which gave me gave us, my wife and I, great joy to put on these conferences. So you got remarried. Yeah. We didn't mention that, but you oh, got remarried. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, quickly going back. So in '98. Uh, suffered a divorce, all of that stuff. 99, gave my life to the Lord with Doug Gilcrease. After that, when he talked about living life, I remember praying a prayer. Man is not meant to be lived alone. Lord, I know I bought this first. If, if you find it in your heart, please bring me another wife. I met my wife a month later. Oh, We've man. been together every day since for 21 years. Ah, my best friend, awesome. my partner, She's uh she's my my all my girl. So we've grown together. We left from there in '99. Went to St. Louis together. Went to New England together. Came out. Went back to Florida together. That's where we met. Fell in love. Got married. Um, our younger daughter who's 19. So oh, we're you know I have two two daughters. Two daughters. Both of them gorgeous, beautiful. But but my 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 wife and I we we've been together 21 years. So so now here we are. We're leaving. New England, we, we get involved in the, in the in the Christian ministry. We have been on, on the board of that ministry. And so we, we serve as directors. We had served as directors of player programs. And so a PAO is a conference-based pro-to-pro ministry um, that teaches everyone to, that teaches our spheres of influence, the, the players, how to radically live for Christ, right? Mm. How, to, how, to, how to influence the stadium. It's the locker room where they at and the stadium, which are the fans and people in the world. Yeah. So there's this two-part mission. Uh, we've since, just after uh, 14 years of that, passed that on to the new directors, Benjamin and Kirsten Watson. Ah. So they're, 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 we just finished the conference. As a matter of fact, we literally last night just finished. It was virtual this year, the first time, the 51st, 50-year, 51st conference of, of, of professional PAO, Professional Athlete Outreach. It's called ah. The Increase. So we just finished The Increase conference uh, last night. Uh, where everybody joined in remotely anyway so that's where we that's what we did we transitioned into that when we left new england and mm -hmm. did that full time um and then in 2010 um a conversation of a conversation led to an interview and then i came on with the players association so i still operated as the director of of, of the nfl program for pao in 2010 when i came on with the nfl players association wow. but for the last 11 years i've been 
I've operated it in, in, the, in the player affairs uh, department. So all things player, union, uh, wages, hours, working conditions, benefits, grievances, that's what we do. I've been fortunate to uh, grow into a role that is the senior director of player affairs and senior advisor to the executive director. So I touch all things collective bargaining, um, um, grievance, everything that, 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 that the players, that touches the players' lives, uh, I, have, I have my hand in. So it's been great. It's been 11 years of that. Um, we're just excited to see what God's going to do for the future. Um, opportunities, where are we going? What are we doing? We feel like that we're in the, almost like the second act. My wife just turned 50 this, this past year. So we're like, Okay, what are we going to do for our next act, you know, the next decade of our lives? So we're looking forward to seeing and having the Lord reveal that and, and just watching um, our, you know, our, our girls grow and, and eventually grandkids and, you know, see, you see, see where the Lord takes us. Man, that's great. Very, very cool. And I guess, uh, you know, when we hear it as fans, uh, you being a part of the collective bargaining agreement and all that. What 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 is that that like? Like what is that atmosphere like? What's the yeah the dynamic? And because you're you're always looking out for the players, and then of course the kind of the league office is is keeping an eye out for the owners and kind of the overall. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Give us maybe just a very, little insight to, to what that. Absolutely, like. absolutely. So very interesting. Um, the let's there's it's almost it's three org organizations, right? So you have the NFL Players Association, the Players Union. We have 32 teams, therefore we have 32 votes, 32 representatives. There are another 98 alternate representatives because each team has four. They have a, a rep and three alternates. We have an 11 person executive committee, that's all players. The executive committee is kind of that governing negotiating body, but the board passes everything. And the board represents the membership, all 1,900 players. So that's our hierarchy. On the, the other, the second entity is the NFL League office. That's the governance management council. They, they are the group that lives, that's at 345 Park Avenue. And that's where a lot of our executive to executive conversations are. But the third entity is the 32 owners. There's really 31 of them because the one is... Green Bay Packers are a publicly traded team. So there's 31 owners, but there's a 32nd person that sits as the president. So 32 of them, and they have their executive committee of 10 of those 32. Mm. So those 10 and our 11 negotiate the collective bargaining agreement, the CBA. It is a document that, that has everything that has to do with the NFL on the field, rules everything that's in there is in that doc benefits the way that the cap is the way that money is exchanged everything is in that document and if it's not in that document it don't exist 459 pages it is an extensive document and what i learned is over these 11 years is there is a difference legally in con and contractually based on something um the way something is written so if it's it, there, there could be a, a certain verb or a tense or something that's off and it means one thing and you're reading it and you're thinking it means another. So won't get into the nose who's on. It's frustrating to say the least oh, because you'll man. read something and you'll be like, oh, it means this. Well, actually it doesn't because it says this, right? Anyway, um, so that's kind of how, that's the behind the scenes world. And so my primarily, my role is 
making sure that the 11 executive committee, the 32 reps, uh, the voting reps, as well as the 98, all understand every aspect of what we're trying to accomplish when we go into CBA collective bargaining. Uh, we we work on again grievances. If a player in our system in the CBA, if a player is fined or a player doesn't like something, he can file a grievance. There's a certain procedure that's set out in the CBA. We handle that for them as well. So we have agent regulation. We regulate all their agents. So if an agent is not allowed to negotiate a contract unless he is registered as a NFL player with the NFLPA. So those are the kind of things that we do just to kind of help and protect, ultimately protect and serve the players of the National Football League. And so behind the curtains, those CBA negotiations, they get nasty. Mm. That It's almost like watching a, a heavy physical football game uh, on the field between two strong, powerful teams. There's no physical confrontations, although we've been close, but there's a <laughs> lot of verbal confrontations. And just like anything, you have two parties who have two different goals, two different objectives. Well, they're, they're both the same, which is to win, but it's yeah. counter to the other. So yeah. the owners are trying to win. The players are trying to win. You come together, there's natural conflict. It's just kind of the way of the world. Wow. So you're, you're, uh, you're in the middle of some of that, which is, uh, it's a, it's a wild spot to be. And, you know, whenever we hear about the, the disagreements, it's tough for us as fans. Cause it's like, do we go, do we take the players route? Do we t- or side? Do we take the owner's side? We get caught, caught in the middle. Uh, but ultimately we just, we want to make sure there's football on Sunday. <laughs> that's exactly right. And, and for both sides, that's one of the challenging things about negotiations. We understand fans don't care. Look, you just want to play football. And, and at the end of the day, you're like, this is billionaires fighting against millionaires. It's not quite that simple, but that's that's the yeah. mind of, a, of how a fan comes from. And I get it because you're like, just play football. Stop it. You can figure this out. Split the baby down the middle and move on. Well, that that doesn't quite work. It, it's just typically, you know, and that's why when you read some of these negotiation books or leadership books and they're just like, just find a win. Find an equal where, where both parties can win. See, it's not always so simple, right? But it's been a great learning tool for me. It's been great growth and development for me to sit in those meetings and to, you know, challenge some of the, the ideologies that I hold. And so mm-hmm. it's been great. I've learned a lot. It's been, it's fun. It, it's challenging, um, but I'm called to it. So I feel like it's my, my passion and my purpose are tied to my profession. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can say that. And so because of that, I get up every day. It's not like work to me. Um, it's, it is work, but it just, it doesn't feel like work all the time. So I love what I do. Gosh, I love it. That that's awesome to hear. And thanks for, for sharing some of that. And man, it's been uh, just a a privilege being able to talk to you today and uh, love hearing some of those stories. And I look forward to, we got to do this again. Cause I think we we just scratched the the surface on uh, your life and and all that God's done in your life and the lessons that you've learned. And so, uh, man, appreciate what you did share. It was very encouraging and inspiring. And I uh, hope you enjoy the off season and, and yes. watching your uh, your your young uh, women daughters uh, grow up, yes. and uh, and that's a fun fun phase uh, of life. So soak soak that in for sure. Thank you, Bryce. I appreciate it. And anytime, man. Awesome. Well, there's Don Davis joining us here on Unpacking It. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson.
And we're back in the Unpacking It studio to recap that conversation with Don Davis and, and so many great takeaways. And, and I'll start with kind of what I mentioned when he, when he brought it up. But that, that, that whole concept of you, you don't have an anger problem, you have a heart problem. And, and I can definitely re- relate to that and, and figuring out, okay, wait, why am, I, why am I angry? Why did that set me off? And what's going on in my heart that is leading to those uh, responses or to those feelings of, of, of being angry? Uh, and that translates to a lot of different you know, areas of our life. You know, what is at the heart, what is at the core level of, of what's going on and to really, you know, get to the root and, and to, you know, do some, uh, uh, you know, self-evaluation, but with the Holy Spirit, with God, and, and in that, that time of, uh, of reflection to, to ask God to convict us, to show us, and, and then provide the ways and the, the verses that we can cling to, to to help us recognize, okay, here's what's really going on. Here are some steps that I can, I can take to uh, to trust God with this this issue this heart issue you know maybe it's some some unforgiveness uh, maybe it's uh, an area that we need to repent from um, you know somebody that, that we need to forgive so a lot of different things could be at play there uh, things that we're hanging on to uh, things that we're not surrendering to the Lord and and so what is the heart issue what what's at the the, the core of, of what's really going on so love that and then I also uh, kind of along those lines too. Him explaining the difference between carnal living and and what that looks like, and then to, to take it a step further uh, for us today, because I, I read a book by Bill Bright. He's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. Uh, but he wrote a book about the Holy Spirit, and a very impactful, eye-opening, inspiring book. I uh, highly recommend it. Uh, but in that book, it, it talks a lot about the difference between carnal living and, and spirit filled living and and being you know led by the, the the Holy Spirit yielding to the Holy Spirit versus going our own carnal route you know the flesh the the human side the the selfish desires the the desires of the of the flesh that we so easily get caught up in and so when we have those choices which you know which direction do we want to go are we going to yield okay yeah I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit within me as a follower of Jesus I'm going to go, okay, this is the way God wants me to go versus I want the temporary satisfaction or I'm going to give into this temptation. I'm going to satisfy what I'm feeling in the moment. Um, and that's, that's more of the carnal living. And, and so it's a daily choice. Are we going to die to ourselves, die to our carnal living, our carnal choices, or are we going to pursue and, and, and live spirit-filled? constantly seeking the Lord, constantly um, relying on his power, his strength, his guidance, and, and we have that, that spirit available to us when we receive Christ. And, and so we have to um, awaken it kind of inside of us on, on a daily, moment-by-moment basis because the carnal side of us is, is always trying to, to you know, lure us and bring us down, and, uh, and, and that's the, the, the battle that we're in uh, every day. Lean on the Spirit, yield to the Spirit. So that's the encouragement for us today. So appreciate Don Davis and all that he shared with us today. I hope it was encouraging and inspiring to you. Would love to know your thoughts. You can shoot me an email, Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E, at unpackingit.com. And we will talk to you on Monday for the live show. 
with Corey Miller and Luke Heaton. Uh, every every Monday, 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Eastern, and then right here on the podcast as well if you listen later. And always appreciate your support. Again, you can shoot me an email, Bryce at unpackingit.com. As always, I wrap it up by saying this. I'm Bryce Johnson, and I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected, and through faith, I've been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well, and I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.